freedom and peace and hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I'm Sarah Taylor, and we are so excited to introduce to you our Revelation Wellness Summer Fitness Program. This program will feature our RevX Boot Camp and our RevFit Hike starting June 5th on Mondays from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. We'll be meeting with our creator in creation right here in Savage, Minnesota at Murphy Hanrahan Park. We'll start with a short devotional and then we'll go on a 30 to 45 minute hike where we walk, talk, and pray. Sarah, where's Jason? I'll go find him. <laughs> Guys? Where is everybody? Hmm. This map doesn't make any sense. On Wednesdays, starting June 7th from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m., we'll meet in the Shakopee Campus parking lot for our RevX Boot Camp. We'll begin each workout in God's word and train our bodies to move better, embrace challenge, and get stronger without losing our freedom. You'll need to bring your own exercise mat, a water bottle, and a light to medium set of dumbbells. Oh, I'm going for tone. Our summer fitness groups are open to men and women of all ages and ability levels. We'll be meeting weekly through the end of August, except for the week of the 4th of July. This fitness ministry is free, but please register at friendshipmn.org rev to fill out a waiver and get more information. You can register for just one program or both. We can't wait to see you. I just want to say how thankful I am for Jason. His presence means he gets to be in those videos instead of me. That's so wonderful, you guys. When Sarah was talking about the hike and said 30 to 45, I thought she was going to say miles. I was like, wow, we are aggressive. No, 30, 45 minutes. That's doable, uh, maybe. Uh, so by all means, join. I, I have to tell you, I'm so proud of myself. Uh, my wife is away on the women's retreat this weekend, and I am alive. And I am here. I have survived. And more important to my marriage, my dog is still alive. Uh, things, are going, things are going great. And if you see a guy wandering around, dazed look on their face, uh, looks like they've forgotten to eat while they've been watching 48 straight hours of NFL draft coverage, uh, we've got granola bars in the back. Point them in that direction. Uh, we want to take care of those guys uh, here this morning. What's our sermon series? We are looking at the book of Mark in a portion of this series called Open Your Eyes as we're looking at what Jesus has for us as his followers. We want to open our eyes and see with faith the things that Jesus has for us. And today, we're going to be in the second half of Mark chapter 6. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, your devices to Mark chapter 6, and our focus is going to be on the second half. And we are going to be talking about accomplishing tasks. Accomplishing 
tasks. When we accomplish tasks, when we have a task that we want to accomplish, what do we do? We look at the resources that we have available to us to see if those resources that we have available to us are enough in order to accomplish the task. Let me give you an example. Let's say over the course of this weekend, while my wife was at the women's retreat, I wanted to paint our whole house. Right? What do you think of that color? You think she'd go for that? No, no, somebody said. Was that you, Shelby? Yeah, yeah, she's, that's a no, absolutely. But let's say that I was going to go ahead and paint the whole house over the course of this weekend while she's gone. What would I do? I would begin to measure the resources that I have available to me to see if that's possible. And I would start by asking, can I hire professionals to come and paint the house for me? Yes, please. But then I would get bids, and those bids would be approximately the amount of a new car. And so I would say, no, I don't have the resources necessary in order to do that. So where do I go next? I ask the question, can I paint the whole house over the course of a weekend? Do I have the resources necessary, like drop claws and paint brushes and tape? Do I have the money to buy paint? And most importantly, do I have the time? in order to paint my entire house over the course of this weekend. Right, what am I doing? I'm doing the evaluation that we all do regularly when we have a task that we want to accomplish to see if we have the kinds of resources that are necessary in order to accomplish that task. Most of the time, we do that evaluation informally in moments in our head. Sometimes we sit down and we're like, well, what are our strengths and our weaknesses and our opportunities and our threats? And we, we work all of that out to say, do we have the kinds of resources necessary to accomplish the task? But most of the time, it's informal in our heads in moments that we're doing that evaluation. And in Mark chapter 6, what Jesus wants his disciples to understand and what he wants us to understand is that when it comes to kingdom tasks, when it comes to the tasks that Jesus has given to us, we need to look at this ledger in a completely different way. We need to look at this in a completely different way. And Jesus begins to teach his disciples that in the passage that we saw last week. When he sent them out in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, to heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's a pretty big task for a group of fishermen, isn't it? What have they been trained to do? They've been trained to find a school of fish. They've been trained when to cinch the nets. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you out for weeks from village to village to village in order to proclaim the kingdom of God, cast out demons, and anoint the sick with oil so that they're healed. That task looks even bigger when we look at the resource side of the ledger, and we see that in verses 8 and 9, Jesus takes away any resource that you would think to bring on this kind of journey. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. What is Jesus doing? He's stripping away any resource a person might logically take in order to go on a trip like this for weeks he says, I don't want you to take any extra money for those just-in-case things. And I don't want you to take any extra food. And I don't want you to take a second tunic in case you get real cold at night. I don't want you to take any of that stuff. I don't want any resources with you because I want you to learn this incredibly valuable lesson. That when it comes to accomplishing the things that the king has commanded, 
When it comes to accomplishing kingdom tasks, that the power of Jesus goes on the resource side of the ledger. No matter what other resources we might see involved, if it is a kingdom task, the power of Jesus goes on the resource side of the ledger. And so the disciples head out without any extra food, without anything to keep them warm, without any money, any extra supplies, and they all starve to death in a few days, except those who died of hypothermia. That's not, that's not what happened, is it? What happened? They all had everything they needed, and they did powerful work in proclaiming the kingdom and seeing the miracles of the kingdom worked through their hands that proclaimed the king is here. Because the power of Jesus goes on the resource side of the ledger when we're talking about kingdom tasks. Now I want to emphasize, this is about kingdom tasks. If I want to get into the college of my choice with my 2.2 GPA, and I pray to Jesus in faith, the power of Jesus is not available for that. Because that is Matt trying to build his own kingdom. The power of Jesus is absolutely available if in college I decide that I want to host a Bible study in my dorm in order to help dis disciple these two new believers down the hallway. That's a, that's a kingdom task. Jesus the king says, I want that done. And so his power is available for that. The power of Jesus is not available to us if we say, I really, really, Lord, want a promotion so that I can live more comfortably. Me living more comfortably, that's not a kingdom task. That's Matt building his own kingdom again. The power of Jesus is absolutely available to us. If I pray to the Lord in faith, Lord, this person I've been eating lunch with the last couple of days, I really want to share the gospel with them today. Would you open those doors? Would you open their hearts? The power of Jesus is available for that. That's a kingdom task. The power of Jesus is not available if in faith I say, Lord, help my kids experience the American dream. Right? That, that's not the Lord's desire for them. That's not a kingdom task. That's me asking that their kingdoms be established. But the Lord's power is absolutely available if my prayer for my kids in faith again and again is, make them like you, Jesus. Make them love you above everything else in this world. That's the king's desire. He's expressed it. It's a kingdom task, and his power is available for that. It goes on the resource side of the ledger. When we're dealing with the king's commands, when we're dealing with kingdom tasks, the disciples believe it. And so they go out and they, they heal the sick. They cast out demons. They proclaim the kingdom. And, and we see here this big lesson that we're going to look at a couple of times today. That is, the power of Jesus is added to the resource side of the ledger when we do kingdom work in faith. Right? Look at it again. The power of Jesus is added to the resource side of the ledger when we do kingdom work in faith. The apostles experience that and they do kingdom work in faith through the power of Jesus. And then in our passage for today... They all come back together after weeks of ministering in these various towns around Israel. They come back together, and what is the first thing they want to do? They want to tell stories about what they've experienced over the last few weeks. They want to tell Jesus and each other all about the amazing things they've experienced. And so in verse 30, we read, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. That must have taken a little bit. 
all that they have done and taught. Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened in this town. Peter, what happened over here? Because here's what happened over here. And they're sharing with each other and sharing with Jesus all that has gone on. Because when something big happens in our life, what do we want to do? We want to share it with other people. That's natural. Recently, I had a friend uh, call me and tell me that they had just almost been run off the road on 494 by this person who was driving, paying no attention because they were busy talking on their phone. And I said to my friend, wait, are you, are, are you calling me right now from your car to tell me about this person that almost ran you off the road because they were busy with their phone instead of paying attention to their driving? He's like, yeah, I just had to share it with somebody. It's like, hang up. We'll talk about this later. Why did he call me in that situation? Because a big event had happened, at least momentarily, and he wanted to tell somebody about it. Because the big things that happen in our life, we want to share them with somebody, and this is way bigger. God's astounding power has been at work in and through them, and they want to tell Jesus, and they want to tell each other about it. And so in verse 32, Jesus says, let's, let's get away. Let's go to a remote place and let's just spend some time resting together and continuing to share these stories. And so they get in a boat and they head out across the lake. But as they do, everyone that is there sees what is going on and they see where they're going. And they begin to run around the top of the lake in order to meet them. So by the time Jesus and the disciples land for their alone time, there are thousands of people on shore to greet them. What is Jesus' response to this? Guys, I'm trying to be alone with my disciples. Get out of here. Have you guys not read the book Boundaries? Leave us alone. Right? No, what, what does Jesus say? He says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Jesus has compassion, and so he begins to teach them, and 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 the day goes on, and on, and on, and all these people have run here at the last minute to get there. None of them have anything to eat. They're all getting very hungry as the day wears on. So in verses 35 and 36, Jesus' disciples come to him, and they say, you need to release these crowds so that they can go to all the towns around here and get things to eat. When Jesus hears this, he recognizes an opportunity to test and grow his disciples' faith and to help them understand all the better the ledger when it comes to kingdom tasks. And so in verse 37, he says to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. I want you to note that Jesus doesn't ask, hey, does anybody have any ideas here? Anybody think we should do something? No, this is an imperative of command. You give them something to eat. When I was younger and I read this passage, I thought, ah, Jesus, this isn't one of those things that he meant to be taken seriously. But in fact, what have the disciples just returned from doing? Casting out demons, healing people by the power of Jesus. I think Jesus means it very much when he says to them, you give them something to eat. He wants them to see that the power of Jesus is on the resource side of the ledger when I give you a command. This is kingdom work. And it was 
a doozy of an assignment. I said here that they need to feed 15,000 people. We don't know the exact number. Mark tells us that there were 5,000 men. It may be that they counted the men because they were the head of households. It's also possible that the men are counted here because they needed a count of possible soldiers ready to go to war. In John chapter 6, in the parallel passage, we read that immediately after this, those zealots that were up around this area of the Sea of Galilee tried to force Jesus to become their king. Come on, Jesus, we've seen your power. Let's go. We can free ourselves from Rome. And so that 5,000, it may be a count of the number of soldiers there were who could march in this freedom against Rome movement. Matthew's gospel says there were women and children as well. And so 15,000 seems like a conservative estimate if there were 5,000 men. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you give them something to eat. He wants them to see his power is available. When the king gives a command, his power is available for kingdom living and kingdom tasks. Will they see it? No. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? 200 denarii is about eight months worth of wages for the common person. Eight months. Now just think for a minute about how eight months worth, how much eight months worth of wages is. What was the likelihood that the disciples just had that on them? What is the likelihood that even if they had that much money, they'd want to spend it on this? And where are you going to get this kind of bread? For fifteen to 20,000 people, which bakery has that amount of bread? What if you went over to Edelweiss here in town and said, I'd like donuts for fifteen to 20,000? Right? What would they say? Uh, could, could you call ahead next time, please? <laughs> right? Who, who has this? What, what, what are the possibilities here? Jesus wants them to understand. The, the disciples are being good project managers here. They're like, here's the task, and now we've, we've looked at the resources, and Jesus, the resources don't seem to indicate that this task is possible, right? They're good project managers. Jesus wants them to understand, no, 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 you're missing the key resource. You're missing my power. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. John chapter 6 tells us that it was Andrew who discovered a boy who had five loaves and two fish. And in John chapter 6, verse 9, Andrew says to Jesus, what good is that? Well, what good is five little loaves and two fish? We're trying to feed fifteen to 20,000 people here. Are you kidding me? Jesus wants them to see his invisible resources that are on the resource side of the ledger for a kingdom task. It's not just five loaves and two fish. It's five loaves and two fish and the power of Jesus that go on the resource side of the ledger when the king tells us something to do. What a lesson. When it comes to the king's commands and kingdom life, Jesus' power goes on the resource side of the ledger. Take that in for a minute. When it comes to the king's commands and kingdom living, Jesus' power goes on the resource side of the ledger. When you go to get your hair cut, 
and you're sitting in your car before you go in, and you are praying for a moment that the Lord would give you opportunity to share your testimony with the person who is about to cut your hair, Jesus' power is available in that situation. And if you have faith, it is, it is accessible in and through you. Because being a witness, that's kingdom work. Husbands, if you are praying in faith, that the Lord would give you strength to love your wife as Christ loves the church and to honor her the way 1 Peter 3 talks about, that power is available to you because that's kingdom work. The power of Jesus is available to us in that. If you're bringing two believers together who've had a disagreement and you want to see peace and unity among those two, you have power and unity for that task. You have power and strength of Jesus for that task because that, that unity and peace, that's a desire of Jesus. That's kingdom work. If you're working with a, a D group on Wednesday night in our youth ministry or with Awana kids and you pray in faith that the Lord would work and through you to have, to have courage and strength and wisdom, to guide those students into greater discipleship, the power of Jesus is with you because the king wants that. That's kingdom work to make disciples. When we're about the king's work and we have faith in him, his power is on the resource side of the ledger. How much power is that? Well, in case we were wondering, it is enough power to take five loaves and two fish and feed fifteen to 20,000 people. We're told that Jesus blessed God and he began to break the bread. And by the time he was done, everyone had eaten their what? Their fill. And the disciples all got to pick up a nice reminder. Right? One basket for each to imprint this lesson on their soul. That the resources of Jesus are available for kingdom work. In case you were wondering how much power it is that Jesus brings to the resource side of the ledger, after this account is over, Jesus is going to walk across the water across the lake. Yeah, yeah, that's right, you heard me. He walks across the water across the lake. After he has fed the 5,000 and the disciples have picked up the baskets, Jesus sends the disciples out in a boat. And he dismisses the crowd and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And then we read in verse 48, after Jesus has been praying for a while, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them. Is that not the strangest phrase? What? He meant to pass by them? What is going on here? And Jesus sends them out, and, and they're having to make their way painfully against the wind as they go across the lake. And here comes Jesus walking across the top of the water. But he's not walking to get into the boat. He's just going to walk on by. What? Right. Hold on to that. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. The disciples don't have a frame of reference for someone walking on top of the water. right? If, if we heard about somebody walking on top of the water, our response would be, you mean like Jesus? They, they don't have that frame of reference. And so when someone is walking across the top of the water just before sunrise, 
They look out and they go, well, this can't be a material person or they would sink down into the water. This must be a specter or a ghost, something immaterial of some kind is coming across the water towards us and they are what? Terrified. That seems like a reasonable reaction, doesn't it? They're terrified. And Jesus speaks words of encouragement to them and he says, take courage, it is I. And then he gets into the boat, and the winds die down entirely, and they are in awe of him. Yes, absolutely in awe, as we are. I believe this, this passage speaks to the heart of the reason that Jesus has all power and authority that he brings to the resource side of the ledger for kingdom tasks. It is because Jesus is the great I am. Because what this passage is communicating to us is that Jesus, who is interacting with his disciples, is the same God that interacted with Moses in the book of Exodus. It starts when Jesus, who is the great I am, provides manna for the people. Moses comes to God and he says, I don't know what to do. We've got no food. These people are complainers and whiners. And what does God do? He provides miraculous food in the wilderness. Jesus has also gone to a wilderness place, same word used here. And he has now broken the bread, and he has provided miracle bread for the people. And all of them are thinking of Yahweh's amazing provision of manna in the wilderness. Then we're told that as his disciples go out in the boat, Jesus starts walking across the water. But, but in that incredibly strange phrase, we're told he's going to walk on by them. As God took Moses, immediately after he provided the manna and hid Moses in the cleft of the rock so that God could pass by him and Moses could see the goodness of God as he saw the back of God, so here we are to understand same words that Jesus is going to pass on by his disciples. There is this parallel that Jesus and Mark are helping us to see between Jesus' identity and the God who interacted with Moses. And if we were unsure in any way, Jesus declares to them before he gets in the boat, ego ami, right? I am. That phrase translated, it is I, is the same Greek phrase that the name of God is translated into when it was translated into Greek. Ego ami, I am. Jesus says, take courage, I am. And then he gets into the boat and the winds die down. Jesus is helping his disciples to understand, and Mark is helping us to see that the Jesus who is interacting with his disciples is the same God who is I am, who reveals himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. How much power is it that Jesus brings to bear on the resource side of the ledger? It is all the power of I am, God Almighty, that comes and brings his power to the resource side of the ledger. And so we recognize when there are kingdom tasks to be accomplished, that the power of Jesus is the power of the great I am, and it is added to the resource side of the ledger when we do kingdom work in faith. When we seek to share our, the gospel with our neighbors in faith, the great I am stands with us because that's kingdom work. 
When we seek to lead our kids into loving Jesus, the great I am stands with us because that's kingdom work. When we seek in faith to love our spouse well, God Almighty, the great I am stands with us because that's kingdom work. When Friendship Church sets out in order to reach Scott County with the gospel, a task far beyond our power and ability, we recognize the great I am stands with us because that's kingdom work. And we want to celebrate the great I am who stands with us in all of the kingdom tasks that he has given to us. We're going to do things a little differently today. I want to invite you to stand with me right now. And we are going to praise Jesus as our great I am. And when you're ready, let me invite you to go over and get the elements at the tables in the corners of the room and bring those back to your seats. And when you come back, continue to praise Jesus and I'll be back out to share a little bit more with you in just a moment. Let's praise Jesus together. I told you we were going to do things a little bit different today, and so I want to invite you to right now carefully uh, go ahead and have a seat with your elements in your hand because there's one more thing I want to share with you before we take these elements. Some of you who've had your Bibles open recognize that there's actually a few verses left in Mark chapter 6. And in those verses, once Jesus gets into the boat... They land, and they land in Gennesaret. Now, does that sound familiar to you, Gennesaret? Where did we heard that before? Two weeks ago, this is the location where Jesus cast legion out of that man. And after Jesus cast legion out of that man into the pigs, and the pigs ran down into the water, what was the reaction of the people in that region? They told Jesus to leave. I think because they were concerned about their bottom line. They, they raised pigs for a living. Their pigs had just run into the water. They asked Jesus to leave. They were frightened about his power. They were frightened about how he was going to use it. And now here's Jesus back at Gennesaret. And this time the people react in a totally different way. This time people get word that Jesus has landed and they begin to run out to greet Jesus. They begin to bring their sick so that Jesus will touch their sick and they'll be healed. They begin to bring their sick so that their sick can just grab on to the hem of Jesus' garment, we're told, because healing is in his wings. What a very different reaction takes place here than the first time Jesus was in Gennesaret. And I think it is so very important for us to understand that Jesus could have just said, they rejected me, I'm not going back there. I'm done with them, but he doesn't. He goes back again, and for some reason, this time they respond in faith. Was it because of the testimony of that man who has been going from town to town, sharing about what Jesus did in his life? Maybe, we don't know. But they come to Jesus in faith, and how does he respond? He shows compassion and mercy and he pours his power out upon them. Jesus could have just said, you had your chance, I'm out. But instead, there's another chance. And when they respond in faith, he shows compassion and mercy and pours his power out upon them. It may very well be that as we're sitting here today talking about faith in Jesus' power, faith in Jesus as we live our life, that you're thinking about a failure of faith in your own life. 
You're thinking about a time in which you've tried to accomplish things in your own strength instead of by Jesus' power. You might be thinking of a time like where with the people of Gennesaret, you put something else ahead of Jesus. Maybe it was yesterday. Jesus wants us to understand that like with the people of Gennesaret, he comes back again. And he stands here today and he invites you to come back to him in faith. And if you will, his expression is one of compassion and mercy and he'll pour his power out upon your life. Before we take these elements today, I just invite you to bow your heads with me. And if there's anything that needs to be confessed before the Lord, would you confess that now? Any failures of faith that you've experienced in your life, anything that you've been putting ahead of Jesus? you recognize the compassion and mercy and grace of Jesus which is greater than that sin would you recognize that Jesus comes to us today no matter what the failure is of yesterday if you're his child he says come back over here come in faith walk with me would you come back to him would you place your faith and your trust fully in him for this day. The compassion and mercy and grace of Jesus are only possible in our lives because of what we celebrate in these elements. The bread represents Jesus' body that has been given for you. His sacrifice so that we can be in relationship with him. Would you eat that bread now in remembrance of him? the shed blood, the sacrifice on our behalf, him paying our price. Would you drink it now in remembrance of him? I'm going to take our our offering at this time. Just a a reminder as we take our offering. We, We don't give to God in order to get anything. We don't give to God because we feel like we earn something through that giving we give to God because we recognize that he's, he's first loved us, he's first given to us and we just love him and we love to give him to him we love his mission and we love to see his mission go forward and so we give with joyful hearts would you guys pray with me as we prepare to take our offering Father what a blessing it is to come before you today and recognize the great love that you have shown to us We celebrate it, and Jesus, we're thankful that you come to us today, no matter what our failures are of yesterday, and you invite us in faith to step back hand in hand with you to walk through this day. And we ask that as we do, we fully recognize the compassion and the mercy of grace that have been poured out in our lives. Lord, as we give to you now, we ask that you'd multiply it so that more and more would see you, more and more would come to faith in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's continue to praise Jesus' name together.